Welcome to the Cowie Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about Cowie, including in our gathering times, visit us online at cowie.church. Enjoy the message. Amen and amen. Good morning, church. So grateful uh, that you are here this morning and that we uh, have the blessing and privilege to open the Word of God together and be encouraged uh, by the greatness of our God and uh, just to be reminded of all that uh, he has done in our place on the cross and all he continues to do in our lives and uh, all by his grace. And we're in a, a series. If you're a guest with us, my name's Jason and I'm one of the pastors here and we're uh, in a, a series uh, called Training for Godliness. And there's just been this, uh, this season that we've been walking through as we've looked at this call that we would have uh, to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. We would uh, be reminded uh, that this has profit uh, in this life and in the life to come. And, and as we've been walking uh, through this series, we have lingered here a little longer than, than originally I had, had planned. And I don't know about you, there's, there's moments um, where there's just this battle that I, I kind of feel just in the, in the busyness and the, just the, the, the voices and all the things that are all around and just trying to sense a, a clarity uh, from the Lord and as, as I was kind of finishing this series and thought we'd be kind of walking a, a different direction, my heart stirred uh, just to this thought of, uh, of solitude and silence before God, something that, uh, that, that really many of us struggle with. If, if I'm honest, the, the, the world that we live in is so busy and so crazy, and it feels like there's so many things that are, are coming at us. And we looked last week and really the week before at some things that can really derail us on this on, on this journey that we're on and, and it can cause us to, uh, to find ourselves distracted, right? And, and the first week was this pursuit of things, right? That, that where uh, we might get distracted by the pursuit of more and we might find uh, our fulfillment or try to find our fulfillment in the pursuit of things or uh, even in the things that we have last week. And this week, we really wanna just lean in uh, to this thought of solitude. Now, it's something that we know very little of I was challenged last year. I heard the testimony of a, a pastor that pastors Long Hollow uh, Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee, and the church experienced uh, just an incredible revival. They saw about a thousand baptisms in just a short period of time, and it was just an incredible move of God uh, in their midst. And, and as he testified uh, just about what God had done in his heart, he said that he began to, to gather just in this space of silence, and it was out of about 10 months of just spending time with God in silence and solitude and just spending, uh, just really leaning in to, to really hear clearly uh, the voice of the Lord in the midst of kind of all the distractions. And he said, you know, I started out with all these questions about like, what about, you know, why is the deacon body like this? And what's wrong with the church here? And what's wrong with all these things? And uh, like many times when we begin to lean in, uh, the Lord reveals to us that we're the problem. And uh, that's, that's generally how he works in, in my life. Uh, and so uh, th- that was what he experienced. And, and I wonder this morning, could busyness and distraction, you know, could it really be such an enemy to what God desires to do in our lives? Could it be the enemy of, of just the simplicity of devotion to Christ that we are called to? Corey Tinboom would say uh, it like this. Uh, she would say that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And then we we kind of like to say if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. We've heard it said that way. But 
I want to just kind of start this message out with there's certain times where there's just an overwhelming sense of conviction um, that I experience as I prepare and as I think about um, just the Word of God and, and just a just a kind of like a confession, like if there's, a, there's an area, like I, I have a really hard time uh, just pausing. I have a really hard time being still. Uh, sometimes when I'm able to get the outside quiet, man, the inside just wants to keep on raging, right? The, the, my mind just wants to keep going. And, and you know, I was thinking about just the, the passage of scripture that we're going to be in today. And uh, last night we'd had kind of a busy evening and we got in and I was wanting to build my slides for this morning. And I pulled up my computer and got in and I said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to knock these out. And uh, it had been sitting there plugged in. Everything was good. I'm, I'm working on the computer for just a moment. The mouse starts moving slow. And then all of a sudden I get this screen. Uh, some of you have seen it. It's really rare, um, right, that, that we, we and, and so it was kind of interesting because normally, and this is a Mac, so they normally just don't have problems. So they do have to be charged, right? But they're just, it, it just goes well. And so, but the thing that was interesting with this is normally there's a little warning that'll pop up and it'll say, hey, your computer will go to sleep in a few minutes if you don't plug it in. And, and, and like I said, this thing's plugged in the whole time and I'm, I'm, you know, beginning to work and all of a sudden this shows up and I wait and I wait and I change cords and I change cords and I wait and I wait. And finally, uh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, just pushing buttons and trying to get things going. And, and the next screen pops up. And on this screen, it says your computer was, or you shut your computer down because of a problem. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> and and if, if Clark could testify uh, what that problem is, it kind of drives him crazy when he'll open my computer because I have this tendency to have maybe more than a reasonable amount of, of windows and tabs and all those things open. And so I've got ProPresenter and my, my Bible software and, and, you know, Safari and Google Chrome and all these other things. And, and, and I've got multiple tabs on all of those. And, and the computer just kind of crashed in the middle of that. And, you know, as I was... I, I was pretty frustrated in the moment because it was late and I, I hadn't quite just felt a peace on, on the whole uh, direction for, for today and, and kind of the whole, whole dynamic of where we were at. And I'm thinking, I don't have time for this and I sure don't have time uh, to, to be still right now. I mean, I'm going to be preaching about that and I should be still, but because this is going on, I don't have time to be still. And I was reminded that I feel like so much of our culture and maybe so many of us in this room that, that we're in kind of a moment like my computer was where there are so many things running and so many things going and we are on the verge of a crash. And what we would see is statistically like people are maxed out. 75% of people in our country would say that they are being physically affected by stress in their life. And we have stressors in our life, right? We can't uh, do away with those, but this stress where it begins to be consuming and overwhelming uh, and we begin to get weary in that. And what we know as, as followers of Christ is there are voices coming at us from all kinds of directions. There are so many things coming and so many things we're trying to process and so many uh, pieces that are there that we may struggle hearing what really matters. I uh, heard this story years ago. Uh, Ralph uh, Babe Pinelli wrote an article titled Kill the Umpire. And he told about this story of his rookie year in 1935, and he was a, uh, an umpire, and they had given him some guidance. They said, whatever you do, do not call a strike on Babe Ruth. We do not advise that, right? And he 
uh, he kind of said, you know, I'm, I'm not walking down that road. He said, I'm going to call him as I see him. And so uh, Babe Ruth's up to bat and uh, pitch comes in and Finelli, uh, Babe Ruth just watches it going by and Finelli feels like it's in the strike zone there. So he calls this strike and, uh, and, and immediately there's 40,000 people in the crowd and they're booing and they're upset and they're doing all that. And Babe Ruth looks at him and he says, uh, he says, 40,000 people. 40,000 people know that wasn't a strike. He said, listen to him. And Penelope just kept his cool, the story goes, and just kind of looked at him. And he said, you know what? He said, I'm the only voice that matters. And as we walk into Psalm 46 today, uh, it's where we're going to be. And uh, as we walk into that, I want to remind you that in the midst of a world full of voices, it may seem like you were surrounded with opinions and things that are contrary to what the scriptures would teach. But I want you to understand that there's only one voice that counts. And, and when we press pause, here's kind of this, uh, this target statement maybe for today and, and what I want you to, to take home, right, is when we push pause on the noise that distracts us, we can tune our ears to the voice that directs us. And Psalm 46, we want to get a little context going into this. We've, we've probably all quoted the first verse or heard the first verse quoted and maybe the last verse. And then there's some verses in the middle that we're going, what in the world is going on here, right? And what is, what is happening here? And so in Psalm 46, uh, most scholars would uh, point to this psalm being written out of uh, uh, some, some events that took place uh, in the prophetic ministry in the time of Isaiah uh, the prophet. We would know in, in this time that the Near East uh, would live in fear of a wicked people, right? There was a, a people that they uh, were ruthless, they were brutal, they were barbaric. Uh, we would know them as the Assyrians, and they were intent on taking over. And what we know about these people is it was uh, a people much like ISIS or Hamas or this thought of people that would have been uh, just so ruthless and so, uh, so uh, barbaric and so uh, brutal in all the things that they would do. And they would use psychological things, right? They would get surrounding uh, an area that they wanted to take over. And in this surrounding, uh, they would send word in and they would threaten uh, psychologically. They would threaten them and, and challenge them and tell them, listen, if you don't surrender, we're going to come in. And then if they did not surrender, they would come in and, and barbarically they would murder and they would uh, destroy and they would burn their homes and they would do things that are unthinkable to those who are there. And what we know is that Isaiah ha had been around and seen this happen to Israel. And now the Assyrians are looking to conquer Judah. And so in these moments that, that we think about, there's a message that comes and we're not going to have time to read all of this, but in Isaiah chapter 36 and 37, uh, you can follow these uh, things. And so there's a message that comes uh, from the king of Assyria to Hezekiah. And this message comes and it tells him to surrender. And there's threats and there's destruction and there's uh, all of these things that are promised. And not only did the king of Assyria send a, a message to him, but he also uh, sent word to the people. And, and he began uh, to, to, to make them question and to make them doubt and to say, you know, there's been no other God. There's been no God that's been able uh, to stop me. There's been no one uh, that could do that. And it appears that this Assyrian king uh, would prevail. It seems uh, like this is just what this is going to be. He even sends a letter uh, to Hezekiah to assure him of that. Hezekiah opens uh, this letter and then he takes this letter and he places it uh, on the altar and he goes to the temple and he places it on the altar and he calls.
calls out on the God uh, who created heaven and earth, on the, the one uh, true God, and, and he lays it on the altar. He gets in on his face before God, and he cries out to God for help, and he cries out to God for mercy. And what we would know is that that night, after Hezekiah had approached uh, the Lord and prayed on his behalf, that the angel of the Lord went outside the gates of Jerusalem. And what we would understand is that he destroyed 185,000 of the Assyrian soldiers. And so there's been this powerful move of God. There's been this powerful moment. And these, uh, these followers of God, right, the people of God, most commentators would say, most scholars would say that the people of God would have written this psalm in response and, and in response to the greatness of God and what they had experienced in his deliverance in that moment. And so when we read these words in Psalm 46, beginning in verse 1, we read this, God is our refuge and strength. A very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth shall change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. Selah, right? There's this, this sense of, of pause, right? Selah, the, 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 this sense of pause and reflecting on the greatness of God. And, and he says that, that our God, that he is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in troubled times. He says, though the earth may quake, that, that there may be storms that are all around us, that our God is great, right? And there is a river, verse 4, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy dwelling places of the Most High, right? In the midst of the storms, in the midst of all the fears, in the midst of all the, the, the turmoil. And here's the thing, right? Sometimes we've got all the, the problems on the outside. We've got all the things around us, the things that are in the world. They're swirling all around us. We've got uh, this turmoil right on our insides. We're, we're, we're wandering and we're weary and we're fearful. But in the midst of these storms, there's a river, right? And this river is a picture, right? A metaphor for the presence of God in the midst of those moments. And in the, in, in the fullness of his presence, there is joy there is peace, even when there is chaos all around, even in the midst of those moments. Verse five, God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations made an uproar and the kingdoms tottered. He raised his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. There's this pause, right? There's this reflection on the greatness of God. And he says, come. Behold the works of the Lord who has wrought desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear into, and he burns the chariots with fire. Now think about this in terms of the threat of the Assyrians. Think about this in the terms of the context of what's going on. And after the angel of the Lord shows up, there are 185,000 dead soldiers outside the city wall. There is bows and there is chariots and there's the destruction of all the things uh, that are there. And the only way uh, that they would have had to get rid of those things or to deal with those things were to burn those things. And the psalmist invites us to come and see as the smoke ascends uh, into the sky, uh, every, uh, every building every amount of that, reminding them of the greatness of their God, reminding them of his deliverance, uh, reminding them. And, and by the way, uh, every page of scripture, every time that we open the word of God, uh, we are reminded of the greatness of God. We are reminded uh, of his faithfulness. We are reminded uh, of his sovereignty. We are reminded of the works uh, that he is doing. And then we see uh, in verse 10, right? Uh, time and time again, uh, we 
see uh, God's work and we're invited into that. And then in verse 10, we hear it. And this is the only command in this entire psalm. And, and in this psalm, we see this, right? Cease striving. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And the way that we are most familiar with that verse in the King James that I first heard that and in the ESV, they, uh, the, the translators word it this way, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now, this, these two words, be still, this is the key to us understanding this text. It's a key. If we are not still, we're not going to soak in the rest of this. And this command is honestly just a, a radical shift and a radical call that's different from the way that most of us live. We live uh, in, in a world, and this week, I, I've kind of just tried to count the times and honestly just ran out of the times that, that I would hear people say uh, these words. I would say, how you doing? And people would sometimes say, man, it has just been an overwhelming week, right? Someone told me yesterday, and they'd, they'd had an overwhelming week. They'd gone through loss in their family and gone through all these things. They said, you know, sometimes it just gets overwhelming. So I would ask people questions. I'd say, how you doing? They said, man, we're just running. What? What do we say? Running what? On empty, yeah, running on empty, running crazy. We are busy, busy, busy. And we somehow wear that as a medal. Like, man, if we're busy, then, then it's some kind of trophy uh, in, in, the, in this uh, world that we live in. And, and the world around us, it, it seems to be spinning out of control. The world around us, it has plenty of things for us to, uh, to, to find ourselves worried about. Uh, the world that, that's all around, the work that's in front of us, the turmoil that's on the inside. We understand that it feels crazy uh, when we begin to look at all those things. And, and many times people would say, listen, I wish there was more hours in the day. I find myself saying that sometimes. I just wish there was more hours. I wish I just had another hour. But I wonder, like, what would I do with that other hour? Would I continue to just keep striving? Will I continue to just keep in this same whirlwind, this merry-go-round of stress? And, you know, we, what do we do with the time we've got? I mean, if, if we look at it, many of us, when we do have that moment, maybe you're, maybe you're a young person, maybe an older person in here too, but you might find yourself man, just in front of a screen, just in front of a big TV, and you're, you're binge-watching some kind of show uh, just to take your mind off of the things that are all around, and you find yourself in, in that kind of place. Maybe you find yourself just, just scrolling mindlessly through YouTube channels or uh, through social media feeds, and you just, anything to just disconnect from the moment. Maybe, maybe you're here, and, and, and you're consumed with the news. Maybe your whole day uh, is filled with just one uh, newsreel after another, and, and the overwhelmingness, the tragedy that's all around us, the things that, that seem to be coming at us. It feels overwhelmed. And ever since the beginning, right, we have tried uh, to somehow figure out a way uh, that, that we could function, right, and that we could be God and, and that we could function and we could handle it all and we could take care of it. And, and somehow our nature is that we would strive and that we would somehow uh, be able to come through those things. But here's what's true. We are not made to take all those things in. We see tragedy all around and the things of brokenness all over. Only God is able to take those things. Only our great God can, can, can handle all the things that we are taking in. And we find ourselves stressed and we find ourselves weary and we find ourselves just in a mess. And God exhorts us in this passage. He says, be still. And I was thinking about this and I'm not even sure I know what this looks like. And I bet if we're honest, some of us really 
And we might struggle to really just nail this thing down and say, and this is what it's like at my house when I do this. See, when we're slow and we are still, our, our mind shifts, our, our hearts focus uh, from the busyness all around us, shifts to the greatness of our God. We, we, we get our, our minds off of the turmoil on the inside and, and we begin to trust in the God who presides, right? The God who is over all things. He said, be still and know that I am God. Can I just remind you this morning that we serve a mighty God, that we have a great God. Psalm 145.3 says this, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He and his greatness, right, is unsearchable. In the Psalm, David says, hey, we try and we try, but we could never fathom just how great and how mighty our God is. He is a great God and his greatness is unsearchable, unfathomable unthinkable. We can't even get our minds around it. If, you, if you'll do me a favor and just lean in for a second and close your eyes and just begin to think of the greatness of God. Begin to think of our great God. Take just a moment. Close your eyes, right? Make him as incredible as you possibly can. Think about the, the, him just creating and speaking this very world into existence. Think about the greatness of our God. Now make him even bigger. And even more awesome, more glorious than even you have so far. And now just be reminded that we are not even close to the greatness of our God. The reality of how big and how mighty he is. And, and we hear this command, right, that God says, be still. And somehow we say, but God, I've got work to do. Lord, I've got, I got things I've got to get done. Be still and know that I am God. So we want to be still. We want to find ourselves just in times of reflection. Number two, we want to know, right? We want to we know how great our God is. We want to be sure. See, we reflect and... Galilee talks about this, uh, this kind of picture, and I like the illustration. He said, you know, if you were to, to take a, a big uh, glass and dip it into the river and pull it out from the bottom, that you would see all this murkiness and muddiness that's all around. And he said, if you were to take that glass and just sit it down, he said, over a period of time, all the dust begins to settle. It begins to kind of drop to the bottom, and you begin just to be able to see clearly again. And this is the kind of picture when we're still before the Lord. See, we... We begin to see clearly. We begin to be reminded not of the trials and the turmoil and all the things that's around, but of the greatness of our God. And because of who he is, we can trust in him. The scriptures would tell us that we have a God who is all-knowing. Doesn't it do good to know this morning that there is nothing that takes him by surprise? Whatever you are going through, that nothing takes him by surprise. He is never uh, taken uh, by surprise by anything, that he is omniscient in all things. He, he, he knows all things. Isaiah 46.10 says, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Psalm 147.5 says this, great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. We have a God who is all-knowing and we have a God who is all-powerful. There is nothing bigger than him. There is nothing 
that he can't do, uh, that he is able to do, right? We're reading the scriptures that he cannot lie, uh, that he can't do things outside of his character. We understand uh, those kind of things, uh, that he cannot sin. But I want you to know that our God can do uh, anything, right? That he is all powerful, that he is omnipotent, that he is unrivaled. In Psalm 127, we would read of those Jewish pilgrims that would grow weary on their way to the feast days. And some of us may, uh, may feel those kind of things. We may be in those places of life where we just grow weary. And the Bible says that those that would grow weary, that that they would lift their eyes, the scripture says, unto the hills from whence cometh their help, because their help came from the Lord. That same psalm would remind us that that our Lord never gets weak or weary, that he never slumbers or sleeps. Doesn't it do you good to know that when we get weak and weary, and when we just can't carry on, and when it doesn't feel like we can carry anymore, and and when we get so tired and we're going off to sleep, that we have a, a, a great God, right? That our God, the one true God, that he never sleeps or slumbers, that he never gets distracted or discouraged, that he never gets weak or weary. And while all of us, we get all of those things and we have bad days, I'm reminded as one preacher said that my God never has a bad day, right? My God is always on and he never has a bad day. And I'm thinking, you know, we we should listen to those little kids, right? They'll, They'll bow their head before me and they'll say, God is great and God is good. And glory to God, when we understand those two things, that our God is all knowing and that he is all powerful, right? And that he is great and that he is good. And we can trust him in the midst of all things, right? That he never gets weak or weary and that he's with us all the time. The Bible will tell us that he is omnipresent, that he is with us. We can be still, we can be sure our God is mighty. What does it look like though? What does it look like to be still? What does it look like for us to rest in that? What does it look like? I understand a little bit about what it looks like to have that external silence. Uh, We used to go across uh, Fontana Lake and get dropped off on Hazel Creek and we would go uh, hiking back up into the mountains there and spend time. And uh, there's some of you that that have been on some of those trips with me. We we would go back in there and uh, my my father-in-law and my brother-in-law used to to go uh, in there. And before I got married, they had this bright idea. They said, hey, uh, before you can marry Sherry, you've got to go into Hazel Creek. And I was like, there is absolutely no way then I'm going anywhere with these guys before I get married. I will be left. It would not have been this refreshing trip, right? So I didn't go with them. But I did go uh, with my friend. And, and there was a place uh, there. When you get way back, it was a place called Hall's Cabin. And you could sit on uh, the porch of that cabin. And I remember my buddy saying, you know, after we'd been in there for a few days, he said, you know, you don't know how much you've got on you till you get away from it all and just begin to relax and refresh. And and, you know, that's kind of where we live. We live in this, this craziness where there's just so much on us and the external silence we need, but the internal silence sometimes can be harder for us to find. We worry. There's so many what ifs that go through our mind, like we're worried about things that we can't control and you know, different circumstances and situations that are in our lives. And we have regrets that somehow uh, we continue to look at and guilt from things that are in our past. And, and those things begin to whirl in our mind and we can't get them to shut down. And, and, and we have all these things that just kind of continue uh, to well up within us. 
this, this thought of solitude, this thought of time where we would get alone with the Father, where we would be reminded that if, if we have uh, confessed our sin, that if we have, have been born again into the family of God, that, that if we confess our sin, right, that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, that some of the guilt of our past would, would be reminded that it had been paid for uh, by the shed blood of Christ on a cross. And that if we, uh, if we can understand that and we can rest in that, that, that we can begin to live in the freedom of of a follower of Jesus Christ, right? That, that the worries and the, the stresses that we have, if we can understand that, that our great God is able to hold all those things, we can't. And he would say, cast all of your cares on me because I care for you. Jesus would say, come all you who are weary and heavy laden and in me you will find rest. And we would understand, God, I can't carry this any longer. The burdens, what some of us, we've been carrying some of these things for so long that we just believe this is what life looks like and we just carry those things and we're weighed down and we're burdened down, and and we're not experiencing the freedom and the joy of life in Christ. And listen, we've got to get to a place that somehow we can press pause on all the voices that are around us and get in the presence of God. Richard Foster, who writes on spiritual discipline, says solitude is not loneliness. Loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. It's where we go to the secret place, right? I want to encourage you to find a place that you might get alone with God, the God who knows all things, right? Just us and the one true God, not, not in some place so that we can uh, put on a show, but that we might get alone with him. The God who is always there, the God who is always watching. Clyde Cranford uh, made a statement in a book that I read, and he says, we don't pray uh, to get God's attention. We have God's attention. And man, that statement, I had to just kind of mull over a few times because, you know, many times in our prayers, one of my prayers is God be with us. And he's already promised he would be. He, he, he's already there. He, he's already with us. And when, our, when we pray, right, our hearts are aligned with the Father and they must be directed and focused on him. And we push pause on this noise, right, that's around us, the noise that distracts us. So that we can tune our ears to the voice that directs us. What does it look like when we pray? Is our focus really on him? Are we distracted by so many things? And then comes the question, well, how do we, what does this look like? Who should we model our life after? And we all know the answer, right? It's the Sunday school answer. Y'all go ahead. Jesus, right? Yeah. And when we look at his life, everything fits in three buckets. Every story in the Gospels, everything in his life, his relationship with his father, his relationship with his disciples, and his relationship with the world. We read through, we just read through Mark as a, as a church. And as we were reading through Mark, there's this, this kind of fast-paced world that Jesus is walking through. Everything is immediately, everything is, is fast. But what we would see is that in Mark 1.35, Jesus, early in the morning, Scripture said, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place and was praying there. Now, if Jesus got up and went to a secluded place while it was still dark, how much more do we need to live our lives out of an overflow of time with God? How, how much more do we need that secluded place? Luke 5.16, we would read that Jesus himself would often slip away to the wilderness and pray often, right? He lived his life as an overflow of intimacy 
with the Father. And as we read just kind of this rhythm in the book of Mark, I, I brought a little physical therapy band that they gave me. But as we read of, of just his life in the, in the book of Mark, we would see him, man, just going from place to place and healing and engaging with the crowds. And we would see moments of tension. We would see moments where John the Baptist would be beheaded and Jesus would retreat into a, 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 the, the secret place that he would go into the wilderness. We would see Jesus kind of going in this cycle and we would see him stretch. And we'd see him kind of just uh, going and going and going. And then all of a sudden we'd see him kind of retreat into that secret place. And, you know, I think so much of our lives, right, we just live kind of in this tension. And we can't handle it. And one of the things that convicted me so much this week, right, was how arrogant am I to think that I can. You know, a mentor pastor that was kind of walking with me when I first became pastor of, of his church, told me one day we were sitting across from a table and, and it brings back these moments of conviction. And it's like, man, when we know these things, why don't we do better? You know, why don't, why don't, why don't I do better when I know these things? But he, he sat across from a table with me and he looked at me and he said, Jason, he said, you must think you're pretty important. And I didn't even know what to say. Like, I mean, I'm like, I hope I don't have this attitude. I mean, I don't even know... And he looked at me and he said, yeah. He said, you think if you stopped for just one second that the world would just stop around you? The Lord's not able to handle the church and your family and these things. And it's just this reminder. So much in our lives, right? We're living stretched. We're living just ready to break at any moment, ready to crash like that computer. And here's the, here's the truth. Sometimes we... Experience that in our relationship with God. Some of our, our family relationships are in the same kind of place, right? We, we're running so much that we're not, uh, we're not engaging. We're not spending time. We're not experiencing the intimacy that God's designed in, our, in a husband and a wife because all we're doing is just somehow running and never just, just kind of pausing for a second. I saw a talk this week where God was talking about just how important we think we are to the world around us. He had two suggestions. He said, Scripture before screens. Every morning we do well to think about that. Scripture before screens. And he said, I, I turn my phone off an hour a day. And some of you, when you hear that, you're like an hour? <laughs> it's these two buttons on the top. By the way, you just put, hold them together. And, and he said this in his little talk, but he said, if you hold those together, the phone either thinks you're dying and you need SOS. <laughs> and and here's, here's true. Like, like for some reason, when I think about turning the phone off for an hour, somehow I'm like, I can't do that. Sometimes we think we're more important, maybe to the people that we're seeing on social media and the people that are outside and all those things than we really are. I can probably turn this thing off today and not one of you will care. But somehow in our mind, we think, man, if I turn this thing off for a second, the world will stop. And what we understand is, is the people that we think we're so important to, we're really not. And the people that I'm around, the people that are sitting at my table, the people that I really am important to, somehow I discount how important I am to them. And it's time as, as the people of God, right, that we understand that we have a God who is sovereign in, 
in all things. He is our refuge and our strength and our ever-present help in troubled times. And when we read that he is our refuge, we're not taking refuge in a bounce house or a tree house or any of those things. We're taking refuge under the one true God, the God who, who spoke this very world into existence. And while the world may rage and while the storms may come and while the seas may be going in all kinds of direction, we can be at peace because in the presence of God, we know that we are safe in the palm of his hand, that he is great and that he is greatly to be praised and our trust and our strength and everything we have is in him. And so we be still and know that he is God and he is exalted among the earth, among all the nations. And my challenge to you and my challenge to me is to start in some kind of place. What if it's just 10 minutes? that we just disconnected from everything and we just kind of let go of the stress and the tension and the things and we just get in the presence of God and we just listen that in the solitude and in the secret place that we might fear, we might hear from him that our fears might be dispelled. Here's some interesting statistics as we close. 64% of car accidents are caused by distractions. 2,617 times, that's how many times a day the average person touches their, their phone, by the way. If you're age 8 to 18, uh, statistics would tell us that there's nine hours per day spent on social media. And, and what all that is, right, we're looking for connection. And we're looking for connection in what's really distracting us from the connection that we really need. And so we need a place that we can get alone, a place we can hear God. Where is that place? What is that space? Are you willing to, are you willing to do something different from the culture that's around? Be still and know that he is God. Purposely pause, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna pause. I'm gonna, and when I do that, I'm recognizing that I'm dependent on him. Purposely pause. Be still, know that I'm God, persistently pray, right? This prayer and this solitude, these things, they all work hand in hand, right? We're, we're, we're leaning into the word. We're walking uh, in his word together. But, and this is kind of the next step. It's what it looks like to daily abide in him. It's to press pause from the things on this world so that we might press in to him to hear his voice, to meditate on his word, to allow the Holy Spirit of God uh, to speak to our hearts and to change our hearts. We, we, Wayne Cordero, who's a, a pastor, says this. He says that, that the way that God has designed it is that we're to take the word of God and we're to apply it to our heart and then it comes to our head and out of our lips. But in the busyness of the world we live in, many times we take the word of God and we skip kind of this heart process. We skip this, this, this really where God does his work in our lives and we take it in our head and we put it on our lips and we go, no one can do this for you. No matter how high our position, no matter what our place is, no one, we can't, we can't hand this work off to someone else. It is only, it's only you and I can, that can make this decision. And for me, throughout this week, there's just this reminder and there's just this, this kind of sobering reality that maybe I think a little too much of myself when I feel like I can't put down my phone. That maybe I don't trust God enough when 
kind of the world seems spinning and I just can't rest in him. And the only response that I knew this week is to somehow try to be still and to honestly struggle a little in the moment. And then just to say, God, I'm sorry. And I need your help. God, help me disconnect from the distractions of this world so that I might hear clear from you and I might live my life out of an overflow of time alone with you. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna have a time where we can respond and some of you may need to come and, and just kneel uh, and, and just in a posture of surrender uh, and repentance like I have this week and say, God, I'm, God, I'm sorry. Maybe some of you recognize the enemy has been whispering. Just like the word came to Hezekiah and said, you can't win, you can't control, you can't do. Maybe the enemy's been whispering those kind of things. And this morning you, you can acknowledge that and say, you know what? He's right, I can't. I can't carry all this. I can't handle it. I can't deal with the circumstances that are there. I can't. I just can't hold it all. I can't carry this burden any longer. The enemy is right. Maybe the enemy's been whispering, you should give up. You should just give in. You're, you're of no use. You're of no value. You can't do this. You can't do this. Maybe that's the word that's been coming from the enemy, but I want you to know that the voice of truth, the only one that matters, says, you know what? You can't. You can't carry it. You can't hold it. You can't go another day, but I can. And I will. if you'll surrender to me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never, never take that first step of just surrender to Christ. Maybe you've heard the stories of how he died on a cross and that he lived a sinless life and he stretched his arms out on the cross of Calvary and he died a sinner's death. And this morning you realize that that death was in your place that he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. So if we would look to that cross and recognize that what Jesus did on that cross, that it counted for me. And for the first time, this maybe, maybe today for the first time, you, you recognize that that truth is, is real for you, that Jesus died in your place on that cross. And you can't carry it anymore. You don't want to carry it anymore. And you just surrender. The call to follow Christ is a call to die. The scripture says that if anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him take up his cross and follow me. It's a turning from our, from our sin and a trusting in the work of the cross and, a, and a, a surrender of our life to live for his glory. Maybe that's you this morning. Father, we love you. We thank you. God, we come grateful that you are our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in troubled time. Lord, if those, and maybe there's some in troubled times, God, and I pray today, Lord, that you would remind them that you are their refuge. And God, for some of us, we just need to slow down to be still. May we begin that this morning. Lord, we love you. 
We pray our worship would be pleasing to you as we reflect on your greatness. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you stand with me and worship?